Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hezo Makuzeni produces the show, and Guleo Gunene is driving our desk today. You may reach us on 0892102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise safm. Or at Charatwala. Today we talked to Nadia Mosaji, co-founder of Warmeng, about the efforts to develop the next generation of engineers, engineering leaders. She was also part of the BBC Women Unsung Heroes season, and we'll play that interview in a bit. 1828 is an organisation that uses education to empower young women. Director Rifilwe Sisiane explains how they do that, and then how do you prevent violence against girls and women? Well, India Bird of Rock Girl suggests a TRC for victims of violence. But first. Chew on these wise words. The Lunch Bite on SAFM. As part of this global campaign, 16 Days campaign, um, I found words from a blogger in Nepal, Nomal Situla. And she says the main reason why violence against women occurs is because of the patriarchal and feudal mindset. The patriarchal structure is rooted in the society and is taught and learned at home from an early age. Likewise, discriminatory laws and lack of legal support, subordinate social status and economic dependence on men render women significantly vulnerable to continued abuse. Our culture and tradition is discriminatory when it comes to providing parental property, citizenship and public services to women, making them weak. As a result, women undergo domestic violence, trafficking, rape, sexual slavery and the like. The time has come to evaluate the role of women and the overall development of the country as they've played a crucial role in the restoration of democracy and the struggle for the republic. Their contributions are high in the upkeep of family and the country's economy. To honour this fact, it is the responsibility of the state to provide security and violence and discriminatory laws, increase women's participation in decision-making and give them ownership of the peace-building and development efforts. Shadow Twala on SAFM. My guest um, is Nadia Musaji, but first let's hear uh, her interview as part of the BBC Women and Sung Heroes season. Now here is our season, Women of Africa, which has for the past eight weeks been bringing you stories of inspiring women across the continent. This first series, Africa's Unsung Heroes, has been introducing women who are making a difference in their country and beyond. Engineering has long been regarded as a domain of males, particularly in Africa. In South Africa, which has the highest number of female engineers on the continent, less than 20% of graduates are female, while in Kenya it's as low as 3%. But that is changing thanks to the intervention of Nadia Mosaji, who qualified as a civil engineer at the University of Cape Town and went on to complete her master's. Shortly after graduating, she co-founded WomenG, short for Women in Engineering, a non-profit organisation that articulates the interests of women engineers and also promotes engineering as a career amongst young girls. The organisation has also launched programmes in Kenya to inspire and develop the next generation of female engineering leaders. Muhammad Ali has been finding out more and sent this report. These days, there are many more female students in the labs of the University of Cape Town's Civil Engineering Department than was the case 10 years ago. 
It was this lack of representation in what was still regarded as a male domain that struck Nadia Musaji during her time as an undergraduate engineering student. And the penny dropped while she was doing vacation work and realized her male fellow students were being paid and she wasn't. It was then, in 2006, that the seed was planted to start Womenj. I think a lot of the time what happens is, is that we all become comfortable. So we sit around in our groups and we complain about the status quo. Um, and I just felt like if I didn't do it, who was going to do it? I mean, I couldn't see another generation of girls sitting around on campus complaining about the same things, going into industry complaining about the same things. So I felt like I was in a very unique position to be able to actually do something about it. And uh, I think when you're 20 years old, you're kind of young and naive and you believe that you can change the world. And, and sometimes you do. And I think that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. Um, what are the things that we need to look out when we're going into the working world, especially when we're competing with guys? Being a woman, yes, you are different to the guys, but that is actually an asset, not a weakness, right? We bring a whole Unlike when Nadia was studying, aspirant young female engineers now have role models like her to call upon for advice. And there's also a number of graduates who work as volunteers, helping young women on their path to becoming good engineers. My name is Doreen Nabajo. I am an ambassador for women. I just finished my PhD in chemical engineering. I've been with women since 2009. And Nadia has been exceptional. It's, you don't normally have um, mentors or people you look up to who are just you know, within your age range, and she happens to be that person. She's done something amazing. Before women, there was no... Um, organization where female engineering students got together and just talked. There's various lessons we learn from each other and having Nadia around and creating this platform for us has been exceptional. Five years ago, women branched out to form GirlInge in an effort to create greater awareness around engineering and related careers among high school girls. So are there any success stories of the program that stand out for Nadia? Her name is Sibyl. Last year, I'm sitting at a dinner at our university program and sitting next to Sibu and she turns to me and she says, I just want to let you know that I was on the Girl Image program and I'm an engineer because of you. And she was about to graduate. And I, I had a goosebumps, you know, knots in the stomach. But it's been such an amazing journey to see Sibu just flourish. Um, she's now on the Girl Image team giving back. If you don't get it, then what happens? What, what does an engineer do to overcome that problem? Um, you'd have to go back to your mix, right? You need to understand what was wrong if you have too much... Since the establishment of Womenj, hundreds of young women have either graduated as engineers or have enrolled in programs across the country. And the good news for young women across Africa is that they will soon be benefiting too. We've got master plans to be able to expand Womenj to reach one million girls in the next 10 years through our intervention programs. I mean, we're largely focused in Africa. We've got, so on the cars, currently South Africa and Kenya have full operations. We've got Nigeria, Tanzania, Mauritius all coming online. And we've got some interest in the Middle East. People in Europe are going, wait a minute, you guys are so far advanced. And for us, the story is really an appealing story because it's actually it's an African solution that was developed by Africans and by women and by engineers to be able to solve our own problems. And now that is actually being exported to the rest of the world. Young women in the rest of the world will no doubt welcome the support of Nadia Musaji 
and a group of dedicated fellow workers at Wiminj as they seek to make life more comfortable for themselves in the world of engineering. That's it for the first series of Women of Africa. We're back again in the new year with our second series, Africa's New Businesswomen. Women of Africa is a BBC World Service series funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And thanks to them, now Nadia joins me on the phone. Hello, Nadia. Hi, how are you doing, Shadow? Good, thank you. Congratulations, you're doing sterling work out there. Thank you, but I mean, I, I can't always take the credit. I've got an amazing team and partners that have just been stellar in helping us do everything that we've done. Well, are you, are you, seeing, are you seeing results, at least, of your efforts? Yes, we have. I mean, um, I remember my class, we were about 10% girls. Classes are now up to about 20%, mm-hmm. uh, 26% actually. Um, in South Africa, you're starting to see um, a change in the faces of girls um, in the engineering industry, both at the university plus as graduates. So, you know, it takes four years to graduate an engineer at mm-hmm. minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're playing the long game here. Um, there's no quick wins. We have to put in the effort and the work to be able to get long-term results. So will Girl Engine then attract young people at high school level to introduce them to engineering? Because I think that's where you need to catch them first. Yes. So um, what's been amazing is that Girl Engine program works with girls between grade 9 and 12 Mm -hmm. um, across South Africa, literally from Limpopo all the way down to Eastern Cape. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not just about introducing them to engineering, but it's also about getting them female engineering mentors we're going to help them through this, you know, transition process and give them good advice and be almost a big sister to them. Um, and that program is, you know, five years old. And last year we saw our first girl graduate as engineer. So, you know, it's an incredibly proud program for us to say that actually if you take the time to invest in girls, you can create engineers. Mm. Um, and it works. You know, do we understand enough the importance of engineering at, at, at high school level as well? And do they get that message? You know, I don't think so. And I mean, I look at my, my own personal example. I was in an all-girls school. Um, and, you know, they, the career fairs were all about, you know, becoming a beautician or, or go, going to secretarial college. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is not that long ago. You know, I matriculated in 2002. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, I think that the best uh, career fair had lawyers, you know. So those, those were the sum total of what we could have become. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's such a negativity around maths and science, you know, that maths and science is difficult and, hmm. you know, girls are not good at it, which is frankly rubbish. Um, and everybody says, to be an engineer, you must love maths and science. And I, and I always tell our girls, you know, I love cupcakes, you know, I love <laughs> shoes. I just don't love maths and science that way. Um, but, you know, maths and science is application and you learn how to do it and you apply and, and you can become an engineer. Don't let, you know, the, um, the fear-mongering around math and science stop you from becoming an engineer. And I, I think the problem is that a lot of people just don't know what we do. Well, this is it. You know, I, I think the, the end picture is not shown and how diverse, you, you know, how you can apply engineering across the board and, and really solve a lot of South Africa's problems. In fact, just, just during our news bulletin, I hear we're going to import food because of all the issues we're having uh, with the drought. And I'm thinking, that's an engineering problem because then we could have solutions through you. 
Exactly. Um, so, you know, I was listening earlier and as well, so it wasn't just the drought. Uh, and water engineering is such a big part of, of urban engineering and civil engineering. But, you know, previously um, they were talking about commodity prices and the mm. mining industry. Mm. That is all engineering. Mm. Um, I love to say, um, you know, think about when you wake up in the morning um, and you open a tap and you brush your teeth and water comes out and you put on a light and hopefully S comes on board and, you know, the lights work. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's all engineering. So everything that we have, everything that we do is all been engineered and so an engineer has touched your life in a million different ways to make it easier for you to to go about doing the things that you need to do. People just don't know this about us. We're like unsung superheroes. Well, you are, and we're trying to sing your praises right now. We've <laughs> a lot of more people. But how, do you, how are you organized then, and how, how do you spread your wings? I mean, you're talking of going into, into, in, into different parts of the continent. How are you funding this whole project? So we've got an amazing group of corporate partners. Um, so all of it is, is actually through corporate partnerships. Mm. So companies have come to us and said, you know what, I don't have a female engineer. Um, and they pay to be part of the organization. And we use that money to give back to actually develop these female engineers. Because everybody's going, you know, especially in South Africa around the BE conversation, oh, we just can't find black engineers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you stop complaining about it. We've got a hope. <laughs> well, we're developing it, right? If, if there isn't anything, develop it. Um, you know, very from a very engineering perspective. So what, you know, that's uh, our partners have come with us, you know, companies um, like Unilever and Donnell, they've been with us forever, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, they've they've reaped the the rewards um, by being able to provide opportunities, work opportunities for for the girls in our program, both in South Africa and in in Kenya. So it's been a fantastic story to tell. Um, And then in each of the countries, you know, we believe in empowerment, in true empowerment on the ground. We're not going to come in and say, um, you know, here's the solution. We're going to mm. shove it down your throat. Mm. We actually build kids up from the bottom. So in Kenya, we got a local team. We empowered them. We mentored them for a year. We provided the funding for it. We raised the funding for it. They ran it. We trained them. Year two, they are flourishing. They're just an amazing team. And we're going to do this in every country. It must be, you know, when somebody walks in into women's Kenya, it must be a Kenyan face. Mm. In Nigeria, it must be mm. Nigerian, mm. you know. Mm. So there's a support network of sisters all across the continent. But at the end of the day, in each country, it's locally championed, locally funded, and that's how we make it sustainable. So it will, we'll reach that number that you quoted, a million, in, in five years. I think so. I mean, we, we're so positive. I mean, we, we've just been uh, overwhelmed, I guess, by the response uh, for people to say, you know, we need this in our country um, because they're starting to realize that um, economic growth and development is all around infrastructure. It's Mm. all around Mm. technology. All of that is engineering. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to grow your economy. Um, And if you don't include women in those conversations, right, you're excluding 50% of your population. So the countries and companies are realizing the value of women and they're saying, well, we need more women to be engineers. Um, And women just been around. We're very established. Um, And we've got programs that work. We've got a proven track record. So, you know, we're starting to see a lot of people come to us and say, hey, could could you run this in our country? Mm. Um, mm. So, you know, the target initially was 10 years, and, and hopefully within five years we'll be able to reach it. Uh, you know, you've got to be go big or go home, is, is what Hema, my business partner, always <laughs> says. But I worry then that we're leaving our boys out. Do women make better engineers, or we're just recognizing the fact that they, there's a large population of women who could become engineers, so they don't necessarily make better engineers than, than men? 
So, I mean, and, and, I, and I, I, I try and steer clear away from the, the description of who's better or who's worse, right? It's a man bashing. I, I'm just, you're not going to pull me into that shadow. <laughs> well, I, I think we also have unemployed young, uh, qualified uh, maths and science uh, uh, boys out there who, who yeah. could be part of your program. Yeah, so, um, and I, I always think that women bring a very different perspective into engineering, right? So they're mm. more meticulous, typically they care about women are more collaborative in, in the way they, you know, problem solve. And you need that type of collaboration, especially with some of the unique challenges we face in Africa. Mm. In terms of our boys, um, and that's why Women is not a feminist uh, organization mm. in, the, in the kind of, you know, very typical all feminist uh, definition. Yeah. Um, you know, at our, at our programs, you know, specific programs like our Girl Lunch program is for girls because the minute you add boys into a room of 16-year-old girls, girls step back, right? Mm. Because they don't want to be mm. seen as smart. They don't want to be different. They just kind of want to hide in the shadows. They're very self-conscious. And mm. we've actually done an experiment where we had boys and girls in, and the girls just, you know, they're just not as responsive as when they, you know, in single-sex environments. So we have um, open platforms called that network, which are industry level, you know, males are part of our teams planning our programs. So we actually quite an inclusive organization. Um, and I suppose and you have male mentors as well. Yes, we do. Mm. Um, and, and, and at different levels, right? Mm. So, um, our, because, you know, we're going into an industry where, you know, they, they make up 75% uh, or even more. You know, we cannot exclude them. Um, we can't create gender parity by, you know, excluding a gender. Gender parity means that we bring both men and women around mm. the table and say, hey, mm. how do we make the best world possible? Well, that's fantastic to hear. Do you go around giving talks anywhere? Can people invite you to talk to students or not you personally, but your organization to encourage this and take this message to, to young people? Yes, yeah, so um, over and above our, our programs, so in a, and especially at a girl end level, our high school intervention programs, they open programs, right? So mm-hmm. they, for the good of the community, we usually book out a venue. Um, and sometimes, uh, I, I know this year in the Limpopo province, we had just such an overwhelming response. We had about a thousand girls saying, I want sure. to come to your program. I had girls sending us messages on, on our Facebook group saying, uh, can, you, can you move the date? Because I, I can't make that date. You see another <laughs> date. Um, we've had boys sneaking to the venues as well. Uh, so, and you know, for us, you know, that's the amazing thing is, is that you know, we're the type of organization that says, look, if you want to come and work with us, come and work with us. Mm. There's no, um, there's no issues. Mm. Uh, we send our teams out to go and speak um, at different events. I mean, we we volunteer, largely volunteer based. We have a very small group of staff, so you know, we can't always answer everybody's response. Uh, the other day, I got a res- an ask to come to Somalia to Mogadishu, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> just physically, just don't, we just don't have the time or the capacity, but you know. We're going to put it on the cards, and if we do it well enough in advance, I'm sure we could make a plan. So, you know, we always try and help as, as much as we can, and we've got amazing volunteers who love to go and give back. Well, we'll give your website, and hopefully, uh, you know, people can, can reach you. Eventually, you'll be able to answer or respond to their messages. But thank you so much for your time, and I know you're very busy, and we really appreciate your talking to us. Well done, yeah. Nadia. Thank you very, very much. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, and, you know, without, I always say, without the media, we can't spread our message. So, you know, great job on what you guys are doing as well, Shadow. Well, thank you, Nadia. You take care now. So, you too. Bye-bye. 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 And it's uh, World Wide Web Women. It's women with a G, uh, .org. And that's where you'll learn all about Womenj and Girlenj.
uh, encouraging engineering in our communities. When we come back, we hear about in 1828, the organization that uses education to empower young women. 107.1, the home of SAFM in Seapoint. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Rufina Sisiana, hello. Hi, Mam Fedel. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm very excited to be chatting with you too. Now, let's hear about 1828. Why that block of young people from year well, 18 year old to 28 years old? Well, it actually goes back to a personal story. Mm-hmm. In October 2008 is where it all started. And the idea came about when I was sitting reflecting on the last 10 years of my life. I was 28 at the time. Mm. And you know when you're 18, you're coming out of matric, you have to make all of these huge decisions about your career and your life and what you're going to study. Mm. And that 10-year reflection really made me realize that if I'd had someone supporting and mentoring me, I would have done a lot of things differently post-matric. And I really wanted to share not only what I'd learned, but also some of my mistakes so that other young girls wouldn't repeat the things that I had done incorrectly, but would also then gain from the things that I had done well so that they wouldn't have to spend as much time establishing themselves. So that justifies the name 1828. It is a personal reflection, but it's also the category that we focus on because at age 18, there are a lot of young women who are thinking about perhaps accessing higher education or starting their first jobs, and they need that guidance, they need that mentorship, they need access to funding, they need so many opportunities they're not always aware of, number one, or that they're not always able to access because of a lack of information. And so it becomes critical to give that support to girls in that age group because that's when a lot of things can go wrong if you don't have the right support, if you don't have the right partners. And it's just a very critical age, I think, from my own experience, and certainly with the girls that we've worked with in the last six years, that there was a big need for what we're doing to encourage young women to access higher education and mentorship and funding for their business ideas as well as their education. I don't know what mistakes you made, but other people say... (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) I wouldn't like to know. But other people think you have to make those mistakes in order to produce people like yourself. You know, um, and, and, and where do you stop? And where, because that's why kids take gap years at, at that time. They, they're not too sure. They're confused. And as parents, we, we're trying to push them to say, no, 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 go and do what Rafilwe didn't do. You know, um, how do you go about negotiating that space of, I need to grow up, I need time out, and I'll decide later? Well, I appreciate the need for people to have their own experiences. Don't get me wrong. People do need to go out, girls especially, you know, explore the world, take the gap here, whatever it is that they feel will be enriching to their lives. But you don't have to make the mistakes. You can always learn from other people Mm. vicariously. Mm. And when people come to you with good advice, take it. When people want to lighten your load or show you a quicker, easier route that's going to have better consequences for you, listen to that advice. Right? You can either be, as far as we're concerned, an example, or you can be a warning. Mm, mm, mm. And we, we we have a lot of warnings, actually. <laughs> We've got so many warnings, and, and we don't heed those warnings. 
I, I, I want to I want to come back. We're going to take news headlines in a bit, Rafira, but I really want us to, to to look at what you do and at what point you you impact uh, these young people that you talk about and what programs you run and and the kind of mentorship you do. And of course, um, you know, talk about your accolades as well and how they've helped uh, get your your organisation ahead. But we, we're going to take a little break and think about those things, Rafira, and we're back talking to you in a bit. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I just went in to talk to Rafira, but she is uh, a director at uh, 18 to, 1828, which is the company we are talking about. So we'll, we'll chat to her after news headlines now with Sir Utsile Sako. Thanks, Shadow. Good afternoon. At least 75% of South Africans surveyed on the payment of bribes have paid a bribe when asked for one. Most of these bribes were paid for traffic offences, according to Ethics Institute of South Africa. The High Court in Pretoria has overturned the Krugersdorp Magistrates Court's judgment that three police officers accused of murder should not be released on bail. And a 50-year-old man has appeared in the Umlazi Magistrates Court, south of Durban, on six charges of raping young children. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. My guest is Rafida Sassiana. And, you know, just to give you a face to who I'm talking to, you may remember her from Generations on Television. And I, I think, Rafida, does that help when you go out <laughs> and mentor young people? The fact that you're already a familiar face on television and, you know, they, they, they feel they warm up to you that way. Absolutely. It, it really has opened a lot of doors. The, the fact that I was on television, Generations, Rhythm City, The Wild, etc. People are also going crazy about the Joko ad that I do at the airport and I say, there's a gentleman here who doesn't know where he is. <laughs> but I'll tell you why there's also a bit of a snag with having that public persona mm. is people don't relate to me. They relate to the character mm. because they feel that they have a relationship with, I mean, you're, you're in their living rooms every night. Mm. They relate to the character and the storyline. And it's very hard for them to actually make that switch and actually see you as, you know, a human being mm. as opposed to a character that you portray on TV. Mm. But I have, I really had to go out of my way to reinforce the fact that, yes, in addition to being on TV, I've also got qualifications in economics and I want you guys to go and study, I want you guys to go to university, I want to mentor you guys, I want to work with you, and not just see, you know, the glitz and the glam of, 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 of TV mm-hmm. as, as, as an easy way out, because it is an option for, for many young people, granted, but they always have to have a plan B, and that's the message that we always tell them when we go into the schools and do the workshops with the grade 11 and grade 12 girls, it's yes, it's good to do something, but always have an, edu- you know, an educational qualification and use that degree as a backup in case things don't go work out. You know, I was talking to Nadia earlier, and, and they also about engineering, and they also go to schools and encourage young people at grade 11 and 12 to, to be serious about math and science, to go into engineering. But I think that, for me, is too late. You know, uh, is, there, is there a way that you could do life skills workshops yourself and your group at an earlier age? Um. We've been asked this question several times before, and everyone wants to know why we're 18, 28, not 13, 28, or 10, 28, and start younger with mm. our intervention. Mm. And the reason why we have not gone that route is, first of all, we are focused on higher education, okay. making it accessible to them, making it an attractive option for them post-matric. Mm. And if we were to start earlier, a lot of the curriculum and the content that we've designed in our program wouldn't be suitable. 
and there would be big cost, um, labor, resource implications to revise that program to make it age-appropriate for girls in younger grades. Because when we go into a school, our first point of call is the head of life orientation, and we consult with her around the curriculum mm-hmm. and what it is we need to bring in as an intervention at the school. We can't deviate from what is set as, as learning objectives in the school context. Mm. So it does take time to develop a curriculum that the girls can warm up to because we consult with them as well to develop something that is appropriate. So I, I, I appreciate the need that, yes, interventions do need to start earlier. But the fact that interventions are happening means that it's not too late for those older people in mm. high school, mm. the grade 11s and 12, to then pass it down and filter to the rest of the school because of their leadership position. Maybe it's an opportunity for another arm of the business to have a new program for for younger people. So what you provide mentors for, for, for these women. Um, I, I tell us a bit more about your Big Sister Network. Okay. So a lot of our girls are the first in their families to finish matric, let alone access university. And they're growing up in communities with very few academic role models or mentors. The role of a Big Sister is to provide that psychosocial support and to be that helping hand and that willing and able big sister who will just listen and lend her ear when you have challenges at university mm. and making that transition from matric into first year. Mm. And what we found is that when the young women warm up or open up to a woman who's already in a career that they aspire to get into, it makes those obstacles seem less insurmountable. Mm. The fact that someone else has done it, like, oh, wow, I want to be where Mom Shadow is today, mm. and if she's mentoring me and taking me to studio with her, it opens up my eyes to a whole other world that I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's because of the fact that they're not seeing it, for the most part, in their own homes, in their own families and communities, that the big sister becomes indispensable to their overall growth and development at university level. Mm. I also see that you provide financial assistance. How, that must be a difficult thing to do because, you know, money is scarce. Uh, but you can't pay for everybody. So how do you work it out? Okay, so the financial assistance program, again, is just going back to making education accessible to young people. We've seen with the hashtag Eve Must Fall this year that there are a lot of young people who are ready, willing, and able to learn, but because of the financial constraints are not being able to access higher education. So mm-hmm. we provide full tuition, accommodation, uh, textbooks, laptop, and a living allowance for an undergraduate degree, of the girl's choice. We're not prescriptive in terms of what the girls study because we believe that if you study something that you're passionate about, you'll be able to get a thriving career, inspire others, or even start up a business and use that degree to become entrepreneurial. Mm. So we want the girls to do something that they're going to be good at and something that they will excel at, and we find that, obviously, as a nonprofit organization, we depend on donations to be able to do that. But we're proud to say that in the last six years, we've produced three graduates, Mm, we've got another three in the pipeline, and these are girls who have completed their degrees in record time. We've had no one failing, no one repeating any courses, no one getting distracted or sidetracked or, you know, life happening to them along the way. And it just goes back to prove the point that once you know what it is you're going to do and you set your heart to it and you have the support of a mentor and the financial obstacles are removed, the sky's the limit for South Africa's young women because all of those barriers, all of those obstacles become obsolete and you can just focus on living your dream and making this country much better and inspiring others in your home and in your community. We need to start lowering those barriers and getting rid of them and putting in place proper support because we've seen that when all of that is in place, the girls thrive. Well, I was going to ask about family and, and, and communities because, you know, you may pull one out 
and oftentimes we, we, we see some kind of resistance or, you know, a break in communication between communities and the ones that have made it. Are your, are your, uh, are, are your students, when they graduate, are they encouraged to become mentors and give back? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it wouldn't be 1828 and have a complete circle if they were to break the loop. Mm. We expect that when you finished your degree, you will come back and reinvest through your time, through your energy, through the mentorship, through facilitating the workshops that we do at the high schools and share your story with others because it makes it more relatable. As I get older and older each year, perhaps there's some of the things that girls can't necessarily discuss or relate to me about, but if you have a 24-year-old, chatting to an 18-year-old or 26-year-old, that age gap is slightly narrow and, 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 and things that they can discuss are more, you know, relatable, I'd say. Mm. So it is something that, that we're quite conscious of in, in keeping the blood fresh and the thinking young and relevant and innovative for, for these young women. So it's not going to work if, if, if they don't come back and share their stories and inspire the next generation of young girls. Rufilia, what do we do with the ones that fall out of, of high school? Um, I, I congratulate you for taking those that are making it that I encourage to, to go on. But the ones that fall back and don't make it, how are we going to deal with that situation? I think any intervention that aims to get girls, boys even, back into school needs to be multifaceted. Mm. And we need to be designing tools and solutions that take into account the unique circumstances that led to that young person dropping out of school in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if it's a matter, for instance, of, of girls staying away from school because of a lack of sanitary wear and they're missing X number of days in a school year, mm -hmm. then we need to make sure that sanitary wear is in place so that they're not losing out on the academic calendar mm -hmm. as a result. Mm -hmm. If a girl is staying away from school because of fear, because of intimidation, because of bullying, whatever factor it is, I think the point that I'm trying to make, Mom Shadow, is that it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, mm -hmm. and we need to be quite clear and specific on what led to the exit of that student, and then design a solution that will then mitigate any other effects or any other possibility of him or her leaving school again. And the use of technology, I think, is, 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 is quite unique in that respect. If we make it more accessible to young people, you could still be getting your education without having to be physically present at school. There are a number of online tools. There's courses. There are things that we can use more innovatively to make it more accessible to people who have either dropped out or become despondent or in any other way are not accessing it. Mm. Do you have a network of people that support your organization or similar organizations like yourselves that you work with um, across the continent or even internationally? Because I know you were a member of uh, the IALI program uh, where you met, met other young people like yourself and you've been, you, you've been a member of lots of other uh, programs. But are there networks to support what you're doing so that your girls, I, I, I suppose what I'm trying to say, is your girls can see beyond being just uh, South Africans but belong to a bigger continent? Well, there are a number of networks um, that I can mention that 1828 is part of. Uh, Spark in Australia supports changemakers across the world, and they come in and they really upskill and they give courses to facilitate your program having a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. And that's through funding, that's through things like website design, it's opening up broader networks and sharing with, with other founders of, of NGOs. So we're a member of Spark. 
Um, you mentioned the Young African Leaders Initiative, but mm-hmm. even just of our own accord, when the communities we go into, other youth-based organizations come and chat to us and see how we can collaborate. Out in, in, in Bumalanga, we had a partnership with uh, Valfordine Youth Services, and they were providing things like uh, computer access and the typing up of CVs, etc. So there are a number of different networks that, that, that we belong to because it's not the sort of thing that we want to do on our own, and indeed we shouldn't, but we aren't. Mm. I think the more people who get involved in this, the bigger the impact will be. So it is all about collaboration. It is all about partners. It's all about learning and, and being able to share, but also having a teachable spirit. You, you, you can't come into this with um, a know-it-all attitude and with a sense that your solution is the best because everything needs to be tweaked and you learn along the way. And the best way to do that is with people who are willing to collaborate with you and help you grow. And that's how we've done it. We, we didn't do it all on our own at all. We had a lot of people supporting us, a lot of really great donors who have come on board and who have really, really believed and, and put their money where their mouth was for want of a better expression. But they've expressed a lot of faith in 1828 and we're always going to be grateful for that. So, Rafila, how do you identify your schools? that you go into, and where are they? The majority of our schools are in Ekuruleni, which is east of Johannesburg. I grew up in Phosphorus, and so they always see <laughs> charity begins at home, so it just <laughs> makes sense for me to start in my own childhood neighborhood. And how we did that was my aunt was a former school principal, and she was able to get us permission from the district officials of the Department of Education. And they gave us a list of poor-performing schools and we then said, well, if we can implement a workshop or pilot it at a few schools, would you then give us access to go into other schools? Mm-hmm. And from there, that's, that's pretty much how we grew. Okay. But you're open to other schools in different areas if you get invited? Oh, indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we're getting expressions of interest from people across the country, and it's only a lack of capacity that prevents us from going into other provinces. But really the intention is waiting to need to spread beyond country because it is time and the need has been expressed over and over. Are you on Facebook and other social networks? Yes. So on Facebook, it's uh, 1828facebook.com forward slash 1828. And I'll spell it out because some people get a little bit twisted. <laughs> 18 is in numbers. It's 1 and 8. 20 is in words. T-W-E-N-T-Y. And then 8 is a number. We're also on Twitter, hashtag 1828, at 1828, as well as YouTube. But the best place to start is our website, which we think is really awesome. And the website address <laughs> is 1828.org. So I'll say it slowly one more time, 18-T-W-E-N-T-Y-8.org. So that, that means we're not going to see you on television anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see me on the 1828 website. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's as good as it gets, eh? <laughs> <laughs> for now, for now, I'm saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not ruling out the possibility. I think it just depends on what opportunities come along. But really, my hands are so full with 1828 and the work that I'm doing at Alan Gray Orbis Foundation in Cape Town, doing a lot of work with youth entrepreneurship really developing the next generation of young leaders. So it's going to be quite tricky juggling 1828 and the Alan Gray Foundation and television. Well, I don't want to spread myself too thin. Stay away from television. I don't mind. With all the good work you're doing, I don't mind. Oh, we'll, thank you. We'll just visit your website as often as possible. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Take care, Sully. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And all I the best for your you. holidays. Hey? Oh, and to you. And to you. Thank you so much. You take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.